And today I'm going to be talking a lot about the lost son. Luke 15, 11 through 13, Jesus is telling a story. So let's pick up in verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. He divided his property between both sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless There's a good chance that every one of us in this place knows this story. It's the story that's commonly known as the prodigal son. The word prodigal means just extravagant wastefulness. And so I, I'm not crazy about, about that name. I like the title, The Lost Son, much better. And it actually is much more appropriate because all throughout Luke 15, Jesus tells this trilogy, this lost trilogy, if you will. He talks about the lost sheep. He talks about the lost coin. And he talks about the lost son. So when I'm talking about this story, you might know it as the prodigal son, but I'm going to refer to it as the lost son. In telling this story today, I'm going to repeat something I'd heard Terry Kruger had preached at, at church one time. There's not just one lost son in this story. There's two lost sons in this story. According to the parable, the younger son demanded his percentage of the estate, and he left home for good. Jesus tells that he gathered everything he had. What does that mean? What does that mean? He gathered everything he had. He had no intention on coming home. When you gather everything you have, it's not an overnight bag. He had no plans on coming home. And then he went to a far, far away place. I want to get as far away from home as I can. In traditional Middle Eastern culture, for a son to ask the father for his inheritance... This is what he is saying. Father, I am eager for you to die. And I want to live now as if you are dead. I want to live now as if you are dead. The title of my message today is Living as if the Father were dead. When we li- what does that mean to live as if the Father were dead? When we live contrary to his character, when we forget his heart. We're living contrary to the Lord. We're living as if the Father is dead. When we live without grace and hope and forgiveness and celebration of the Father, we are living as if he were dead. My intention today in this message is to bring us into a place of grace and hope restoration and celebration of our awesome God. The younger son shames his father, disgraces his family, and then things go badly for him. Very badly for him. Eventually he is broke, he is alone, he is starving, and he resorts to tending pigs. 
Now, this might look cute, but that's because we don't have smell-o-vision. Did you know that for the Jewish listeners in this story, as Jesus is telling this story, for everyone in the audience who is a Jewish listener, they are hearing something profound that we as Americans might not realize. For those in, in the Jewish tradition, it was four times worse Four times unclean, four times filthier for someone to touch and work with pigs than it was to visit a prostitute. It says something about religion. And this lost son is not just tending to them, but he's eating what, what they have and, and longing to be home. Finally, he comes to his senses. He turns back home. Let's pick up in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you treat me as one of your hired servants? He had his speech set up, right? He had his monologue. It's a good one. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's a lot of ands, guys. There's a lot of things the father did. And the son said to him, Here comes the monologue. Father, I have sinned heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. He gets up from the filth, from the mess, from the hell he was in. He gets up and turns around and goes home. As he walks home, the father runs to him. This Greek word for run is, is the word where they get uh, the same word for athletic games. He sprints to him. I don't know how old the father is. I'm 46. If I haven't stretched for 15 minutes and I start to run, I'm pulling something. And that's with a jog. Because I haven't sprinted in a couple years, maybe. I don't know. The father sprints to him. The father does not tap his foot on the porch, plan his rebuke, Neither does he just wait on the porch as his son completes that walk of shame. Once the father got anywhere near home, you know that's when it was hardest. The father run to him. He throws himself on the son. And before the son can finish his wonderful monologue, his heart felt plea. The father cuts him off and declares, Son, you are my son. Servants! Here is my son. And then he does something that is unprecedented 
in all of religion. He kisses him. Friends, no other religion describes a God like this. No other religion describes a God who kisses us when we're in our worst. None. He reinstates his son's position of authority. He gives him a signet ring. He's a son. They get the best robe. He's a son. They get sandals for his feet. He's a son. He's my son. He belongs in this family. He belongs in this house. The father cannot contain his joy. So he immediately calls for a spontaneous party. And this house must be good at parties because they put it together right away. They got the DJ up there. He's like, ooh, everybody right now, son's back. And they got the DJ. There's dancing. There's line dancing. I don't know if it's like boot scoot and boogie or if it's like the electric slide or if it's one of those things from high school musical where the whole school just knows the dance. I don't know. But they're all dancing. There's music going on and they got brisket. It's a party. You guys, why is this message so powerful? Because this message represents our father. This father, this really good earthly father in this parable, represents our phenomenal, perfect father in heaven. God dances over and with his broken child. Ah, didn't I just tug on your heart? He dances over and he dances with and he celebrates every child. The awesome thing about this story, it declares that we're all his favorite. We're all favorite of God. Let's take a moment and let's look at this painting. Uh, I have a painting here. It's Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. It was painted in the Baroque era. It's considered a masterpiece. And it's taken from this passage in Luke chapter 15. This is the whole painting. We're going to kind of zoom in on some parts. But I just want to bring um, attention to three characters in this story. There's six here. And this is Rembrandt's interpretation. This is never how I've seen it, but Rembrandt did. And he's... He was an incredible painter. So right here on his knees, we have the son standing above him with the large hands. Critics always pointed out the, the bigness of the father's hands. For Interesting. Art critics, not scholars, not biblical scholars, art critics. Especially one hand, they always point out, bigger than the other. So the father with the big hands. And then standing over here where the, the face is illuminated, who is that? That's the other son. That's the older son. Uh, in the picture, they have a mom. In the back, they have a servant way in the back. Um, and then over here, someone, you know, sitting down, dressed very nice. It doesn't matter who they are. Different people say they different represent different things. One of those people is us, the viewer, you know, so we can be there. Because Rembrandt wanted us to be there in, in the midst of this story as one of the characters. But the, but the three we're going to talk about are the younger son, the older brother, and the father. The younger son is kneeling, resting his head on the father's chest. Uh, Greg, the graphic that has the bullet points, if we can pull that up. The son 
is badly shaven. His head is bald. We don't know why. It could be because of a punishment from his former employer. It could be because he had lice and they had to shave. But either way, he wasn't cared for. His head is badly shaved. He's thin. His clothes are tattered and worn. He has one sandal on, and it's not in good condition. He's filthy. He is the picture of a life that has been broken. Church, his brokenness is the picture of the Christian life. We must learn and choose to intentionally live in this place of need for the Lord, of brokenness, of vulnerability, of humility, and of grace. If we don't live in that place, we risk being another character in this story, the older brother. The key word is intentionally, guys. Our lives are are not supposed to be lived on accident. There's supposed to be intentionality to our lives. That kneeling, broken son resting in his father's chest with the father's large hands upon him is the call to you and I to stand against every power that fights us in choosing this posture of humility. He is kneeling because he cannot do life on his own. He is kneeling because he tried and he failed. He is kneeling because he's completely dependent. He is very, very needy. I am very, very needy. We are very needy. And we shouldn't despise that when it comes when we're talking about the subject of our God. We often forget that truth of just how much we need him when things are going our way. That place of the embrace of the Father as I'm kneeling before him, that's the place I want to live. That's the place I choose to live. But to choose to live there, that means I've got to choose that place of humility, kneeling before him, acknowledging his love, his bigness. That means that when things get tough, I get up and I go to the Father. I go to where he is, where his grace is. When I do this, I am fully, when I'm fully aware that, that yes, I'm a broken dude in need of a, of a powerful God, I gain a small glimpse into this passage from Ephesians that I want to read. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and width and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that awesome? We come to this. How did we start that first 
when I read this passage, what do we start with? What do we come to him with? Bended knee. We come to him with acknowledgement of his goodness. The younger brother comes to the father and he receives love and acceptance and place. He does not get lectured, turned away or scolded. He is not shamed. He receives life. The degree to which I'm in touch with my lostness and brokenness is the same degree to which I will grasp my foundness and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the truth of the gospel of Christ, I am able to dance and celebrate in the Father's limitless love. But this younger son is not the subject of my message. Everything to this point has been laying the foundation and laying the groundwork. This has been my intro. My intro is probably as long as the core context of my message. The message is not about the younger son. I just couldn't help talking about him because he's, he's me, because he's you. You see, the father had another lost son, and he was the older son. And he too was living as if the father were dead. We often glaze over the fact that he too was given his share of the inheritance. He stayed at home, but it says at the beginning of this, Jesus said that he divided, the father divided his estate among his sons. Let's continue reading in the next verse, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And the older son, the older brother, called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the servant said to the older brother, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. If I can pause for a second, I need to point out something um, that's really, really important. See, at this point, our emotions might get involved in the story. At this point, we might start getting, our emotions might start changing from joy and jubilation and, and you know, relating to the younger son to all of a sudden now, you know, our emotions in reading this might shift to, well, well that jerk? I want to point a couple things out. Number one, I want us to look at the father's response to him, the father's identical response to the older son. What did the father do to the younger son? Went to where he was, embraced him, loved him, had grace for him. What does the father do with the older son? Same thing, goes to where he is, has love for him, has grace for him. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and earnestly asked him to join the party. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he, the father, said to him, Son, 
You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What does it look like when I stray from weakness and brokenness? The older brother shows us what it looks like when we stray from that place. He is the dramatic, unexpected unexpected conclusion to this story. Think about the people listening. This, the story, Jesus is done telling his story at that moment. It's expected. It's dramatic. He's telling it for the sake of the listeners. Let's pull up that picture of the sun. Just, it's, in Rembrandt's painting, the sun is well clothed. He's got it together. He's clean. He's dressed with a similar cloak as the father. It's gold embroidered. But unlike his father, he is judging. He is annoyed. He is looking down. He is is standing fully erect and, and looking down. He's looking down at the father's extravagant reception of his youngest son the son who disgraced the family and squandered part of the family fortune. The older son, I believe, is more lost than the younger son. Why? Because he still doesn't know he's lost. His respectability and morality have blinded him. He is living with the father, but he is far from the Father. He is living with the Father, but he's living as if the Father's dead. He's not representing the Father. He has lost his Father's heart. He has lost the Father's character or good name. He serves as a warning to all of us that it's possible to obey God. It's possible to obey His commands. Because our heart isn't where it should be. You guys, I can be leading the church. We can be reading the Bible. We can be serving, witnessing, and be lost. God cares about the condition of the heart. It matters. The older brother's response to the extravagant love of the father on the younger son is this. All these years I've been serving you. All these years I've been doing stuff for you. I've never strayed. And what have you ever done for me? You guys, he's blinded by hardness and he has no clue about what the Father is doing. If we get to that place of not knowing what the Father is doing when he shows love and grace to the broken, we're lost. How do I know if I am the lost older brother? Because when we are not intentional about leading out of weakness and brokenness, we can become like them. What does that mean? Leading out of brokenness. You guys, I I think I'm a strong guy. I look around and and I think I've got, you know, surrounded by strong men, strong women. This is not about our strength. This is about our brokenness. This is about our willingness to acknowledge that we need God, that we don't have it all together. 
So we need to watch for these three signs to know if we were like the lost older brother. Number one, first, when I hold on to my anger rather than process it, I am the lost older brother. There is no dance in the heart of the older brother. He is angry. It's understandable. It's understandable that he's angry. I'm not condemning him for being angry. There's emotions we got to process. He's angry. I get it. But there's room for him to process it. But that room doesn't include how he's responded in this story. So his younger brother has squandered the family fortune, humiliated the father, humiliated the family, wasted money. Maybe the real thing that he's angry about is the younger brother has given much more work to the older brother. The younger brother gone. Someone's got to pick up the slack. He's angry. But he doesn't own his anger. He doesn't wrestle with his anger. More importantly, he doesn't bring his anger humbly to the Father. You guys, we can bring our anger humbly to the Father. We can bring our hurts humbly to the Father. We can bring our rejection humbly to the Father. We can bring all that we have and all that we are humbly to the Father. Our our process of processing through these things, it starts and it ends with bringing it to the Father. And in between, there's a lot of wonderful steps. Brotherhood, sharing, you know, calling for the elders of the church to pray for you, getting counseling, meeting with people. There's so many things. There's good books. There's good people. But it starts and it ends with coming to the Father. You guys hear me? He doesn't own his anger. He doesn't wrestle with his anger. He doesn't bring it to the Father. Guys, I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. Many of us have. Some of us stuff our anger and we stuff it down until eventually we go atomic. We explode. We save up bits and pieces of offenses until we just can't take it anymore. And then we begin slamming doors and throwing things. Maybe we attempt to get even. We take our anger from one place, such as the office or the church, and we take it to another place, most often home. And most often we take that anger out on somebody. How many times have I taken my anger from a difficult day and transferred it home when my kids are too loud or too slow in getting to bed or whatever it is. Instead of taking that frustration or anger or hurt, whatever it was, and taking it to the Father first so that then I don't take it out on my family later. Sorry, kids. Sorry, baby. Sometimes we turn those things so strongly inward that our souls are forced to swallow thousands and thousands of hours of anger. And when we do that, it turns into depression or ulcers or insomnia or sickness or you name it. Still others of us are passive-aggressive with it. We unconsciously try to defeat the person who we are upset with 
by showing up late or forgetting important dates or forgetting names or withholding love or respect or honor. I was watching just a little bit of The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler film, you know, about the 80s. And there's one of those passive-aggressive things. Julia comes over, and she sees Linda. And she's like, well, can you tell tell him I stopped by? Oh, sure, you got it, Jennifer. It's Julia. She Passive-aggressive. It's not, a, that's not a good way to deal with our anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. We might know it as, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. What an interesting way of phrasing this. Here you go. I'm not going to give it to you because you're not the devil. Here you go. Here you go. I'm not giving, giving him opportunity. Here's an open door. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, make yourself at home. Being angry is not a sin, but we're not supposed to sin in the midst of it. Guys, anger is an important and complex emotion. Especially for those who are in leadership. If you're leading your home, you're leading the church, you're leading work, it's especially important, guys, in leadership. What we do with that anger, with our hurts or with our betrayals or with our disillusionment, what we do with that greatly impacts others. In these challenging times, the best place for us to be is before the Father with his hands on us. Can we pull up that picture? It kind of zooms in on the Son with the Father's hands. What's interesting to me about this is the Son still hasn't embraced the Father. He's still in a posture of pleading. The Son's not reaching out and grabbing. He's still here. He's either praying or pleading. And the Father is like just coming around him pulling him in, pulling him close. Friends, this is where we should be. In this position of need and brokenness, let's ask the Lord good questions. Lord, what is this anger all about? Lord, where is it coming from? Father, does this remind me of something from the past or someone from the past? Lord, what will it mean for me to be patient and thoughtful about not rushing to speak with the person? who has stirred these feelings in me. First, when I hold on to my anger rather than process it, I am the lost older brother. Second, when I find myself grumbling and complaining a lot and I am no longer relational, I am the lost older brother. How does the older brother refer to the younger son? This son of yours. He takes no relational ownership at all. This son of yours. Instead of saying, my brother. What does that speak of? It speaks of not welcoming him back into the family, of not wanting him back in the family, of not wanting him to be included, of not wanting him to be forgiven, of not wanting to have grace poured out upon him. It speaks of punishment. I want him to be punished for what he's done. That's not the heart of the Father, ever. In this, we see the older brother resentful and angry 
and condescending and proud and accusatory. And when my heart and my posture toward people is not like the Father, I know that I have wandered from home and I am lost and I'm living as if God were dead. Third, when I have a hard time letting go of offenses and forgiving others, it's a sure sign I'm the lost older brother. When I refuse to forgive, I am the lost older brother. When I have a hard time with it, I'm still the lost older brother. This story, there's no way this story's over. Jesus stops telling it, but the story's not over. You know why? Because the brother has the opportunity to turn to the father just like the younger son did. This story is not over. What we see in the last words is the father being gracious and lovely, loving, but we don't see the older brother's response. But I know the older brother's response because I am the older brother. I am the younger son, and I am the older brother, and I am striving to be the father. When we're in the presence of a loving God who speaks us with grace and acceptance, and he comes to us, it softens our heart. You guys, we talk, I mean, that's why it's so important to come to church. I full-on disagree with people who are like, I, you know, I can be a great Christian. I'm just a great Christian as you, and I don't go to church because I've watched, you know, so-and-so on TV, and I'm like, that's bull, that's bull. No. Because when, when we come in together and you're in the presence of the Lord and, and you're with other people and you realize we can't do it alone, that we're not an island and we don't seclude ourselves like the older brother who refused to come to the party. It's a party, baby. Brisket. We, we come here because we, what we're saying is I'm not going to exclude myself. And even part of it, you know, it's hard. You guys, it's hard when we're hurting to then go to the Father. Sometimes it's hard. But man, we've got to process it. And it starts and it ends with going to Him. Forgiveness is a process that is difficult, to say the least. But it will kill our hearts and our kindness if we don't embrace this vital process. The foundation of me moving forward from my hurts and disappointments is this. To grab a hold of the enormity of my debt that I could never repay, that I can't even imagine, that the Father paid through the obedience of the Son, Jesus Christ. The enormity of my debt. When I'm holding something against someone else, maybe it's a good time for me to remember the enormity of my debt. And where do I do that remembering? Once again, kneeling before the Father. So I've thrown out these, here's how to tell if you're the lost older brother, and I don't want to leave you hopeless, because what if you're going, oh my gosh, I'm the lost older brother. Get up. I mean, not, not literally, not literally. I'm sorry. I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw Tiffany, and she's like, preacher said get up, I'm getting up. Get up, turn around, and go to the Father. That's it. That's it. No penance to pay. No, 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 no prayers or, you know, I mean, no, no. Get up and go to the Father and kneel before him and just let him put his hands on you and draw your head into his bosom and love on you and tell everyone, my son, my son, this is my son. 
Let him reestablish authority in your life, whether it's a signet ring or a robe or him just saying, oh, I, I can use this and I will use you. Oh, oh, my son, my son, my son. Let him reestablish authority in your life so we can be useful in the kingdom of God. Let him establish affection whether we see how good he is. Let us run to him. If we find ourselves being the person of the lost older brother, we just go to daddy. Luke 15, 31 through 32. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You guys, the church and the world it's full of younger sons running away every time someone or God doesn't meet their expectations. The church and the world is also full of older brothers who are angry and grumpy. And as I mentioned, I know because I'm both of them. But the goal for us is to be like the Father, demonstrating love and grace and being present and being accepting and being receiving and restoring. People are desperate to be with others who will manifest the love of God. People are desperate to be around people who will reflect the Father in this story. Let's be those people. I want to read a quick prayer and then I want to close. There's a prayer from an unknown Confederate soldier and it says this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for, what, for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power when I was young that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most richly blessed. I, I, I want to be a part of a lot of homecoming parties. Don't you? I want to be a part of a lot of homecoming parties where that disgruntled and disillusioned son has gone away and comes back and we get to be used by the Father and showing his love and his grace. We get to be a part by living intentionally on our knees before the Father at the foot of the cross before our Savior 